Bavaria, May 1945. American forces arrest war criminal Hans Frank, the man responsible for a reign of terror against Polish civilians and a key leader in the mass murder of 1.8 million Polish Jews. An elite secret branch of the Allied forces searches his holdings, recovering incriminating documents and six cases of missing Polish artwork. Their main target? The crown jewel paintings of the stolen Polish collection. Lady with an Ermine by Da Vinci. Landscape with a Good Samaritan by Rembrandt. And Portrait of a Young Man by Raphael. The hunt for the great three is on. The Da Vinci turns up just weeks later in Frank's belongings. The Rembrandt surfaces within another year. The Raphael remains missing. Years pass. International organizations, government groups, collectors, and entire military divisions become obsessed with recovering the painting. Other works of art resurface. Stolen pieces recognized at auction. Looted work appearing in museum collections across the globe. Abandoned pieces found hidden in caves and vaults. Still, no sign of the missing Raphael masterpiece. The painting captures international imagination, spawning books, movies, and even cartoon appearances speculating as to its whereabouts. The Monuments Men Foundation is created, honoring the people who dedicated their lives to the restoration of stolen World War II art. Still, no Raphael. Could it be in a private collection hidden for 75 years? Left behind in a cave or cellar for safekeeping but never recovered? Floating on the black market? Destroyed entirely? Valued at over $100 million, the most important missing painting in the world is gone. Hi, I'm Richard. And I'm Molly. Welcome to Gone, the show where we search for everything missing. We examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned. From the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke Colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're looking for it. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps the podcast. Today, we will be looking into Raphael's portrait of a young man. Stolen from Poland during the 1939 siege on Warsaw and intended for Hitler's unrealized Führer Museum, the painting was last seen days before the capture of Nazi leader Hans Frank. Despite appearing in meticulously well-kept German inventory records in January of 1945, this highly recognizable Renaissance masterwork has eluded Nazis, art collectors, and even dedicated international art recovery efforts for nearly 75 years. The 2014 film Monuments Men shows portrait of a young man burned, along with other missing artwork suggesting why the team never reported it found. In reality, the men the film was based on spent their entire lives searching for the painting. 
Portrait of a Young Man has become the holy grail of the 20th century. It has bent men to its will, caused fights and disputes, been transported in secret, and become the subject of many people's passions. It is almost as though its presence and eventual lack of presence has shaped the world around it. With a history dating back 500 years and counting, this painting was valuable even at the time of its completion in 1513 due to its famous painter. Raphael was an Italian Renaissance master who had been deeply influenced by da Vinci and Michelangelo. His talent and dedication brought him attention and patrons, including the Vatican. Working on portable wood panels and in frescoes directly on the walls of churches, Raphael dazzled viewers and left a lasting impact on Western art still felt today. In 1520, he died suddenly at just 37 years old. The paintings he left behind have become priceless European treasures scattered throughout global collections. Even the content of Portrait of a Young Man has become the cause for great debate. It depicts a single-figure portrait sitting in three-quarters view from the waist up. He wears a black velvet cap, somewhat like a beret, over shoulder-length brown hair. He is clean-shaven and appears to be quite young, either a teenager or man in his early 20s. He wears a high-quality white men's blouse with elegant furs draped across his left shoulder. Behind him are a fine piece of wooden furniture with gold embellishments and a small window in the upper right-hand corner depicting a peaceful landscape and large white church in the distance. This work is exquisite and shows off the fundamental characteristic of what makes Raphael a true master of his craft. It also tells us why, over the years, the lust to own such a masterwork prevailed. It was this lust, this desire to be so close to a work of genius, that caused the painting to gain a life of its own. The pursuit and ultimate loss of this painting make it almost like a character out of a great romantic tragedy. A character loved and admired, but always seemingly out of reach of its greatest suitors. We can understand this desire more when we look further into the content of the painting. Many historians believe the painting to be one of only three self-portraits of the famous painter in existence. If true, we would come to see how rare and unique of a treasure this is, and just how great a cultural tragedy its loss would be. The missing painting's self-portrait status remains unverified. However, the similarities between the figure in Portrait of the Young Man and his two other self-depictions in the paintings The School of Athens and Self-Portrait are uncanny. There are some things we do know for certain, though. The work measures 28 by 22 inches and is oil on wood panel, not cloth canvas. This is important because during Nazi looting, boards could not be rolled and transported like canvas, and this painting was on the large side. Basically, this painting would have been hard to transport, which makes its disappearance even stranger. How could such a large and noteworthy painting slip under the radar? What fatal errors had to be made to allow such an important piece of history to slip through the cracks? The painting, which dates back to 1513 or 1514, was part of the Great Three of Poland, along with Lady with an Ermine by Leonardo da Vinci, 
and Landscape with the Good Samaritan by Rembrandt. The great three paintings were originally acquired by the Polish nobility at the end of the 18th century during the height of Enlightenment thinking. Together, they made up the most important European work held in Polish collections and signified Poland's place in the art traditions of Europe. The Enlightenment era's focus on rationality, history, and cultivation of intellect and art led many European nobles to collect historical objects and study the ideals of history. This sort of collection asserted cultural and political power by showing the resources, tastes, and intelligence of the owners. Art is by nature inherently rare, and possession of rare resources also represents power. They were fundamental in maintaining a country's reputation and therefore protected with the utmost diligence. Unfortunately, a long string of unfortunate and unsettling events disrupted this protection and changed the fate of these three legendary paintings forever. By 1798, the Great Three paintings had come into Polish possession through connections and diligent research by the royal family. They were placed in the country's new prestigious museum, the Czartoryski Museum. This museum would play a key role in the abduction and subsequent disappearance of Portrait of a Young Man. These three paintings represented the height of Renaissance painting. They were the envy of many other nobles. Together with the large family holdings, these paintings formed a priceless collection of historic Polish and European work that asserted the family and Poland's growing power. This collection was enormous. Princess Isabella Czartoryska amassed around 16,000 Polish works and 22,000 foreign ones in her lifetime. That collection included artifacts, jewels, paintings, and an extensive library of books and manuscripts from all over Europe. Unfortunately, these would all fall subject to the looting and raiding that would hit Poland in 150 years' time. Prince Adam recognized the importance of his family's holdings. Following Poland's failed 1830s attempt to free itself from Russian control in the November Uprising, Prince Adam became a wanted man in Russia. As Polish independence sentiments stirred again a decade later, Prince Adam fled to Paris in 1843. He brought the entire collection with him. This was the first of the many travels across Europe Portrait of the Artist would experience. Because of its importance as a cultural status symbol, it would continue to play a key role in political tension and wartime upheaval, a reality that perhaps doomed the painting to its unfortunate fate. Collecting became a point of family pride. Prince Adam's children, Prince Władysław and Princess Zalniska, expanded the dazzling Paris collection. New highlights included Greek and Etruscan vases, Roman and Egyptian antiquities, and a beloved Polonaise carpet, for which Prince Władysław built an entire room to showcase at the 1865 Exposition des Arts Décoratifs in Paris. During the 25-plus years in Paris, the Czartoryski holdings gained attention and acclaim, cementing their status as a prized European collection. However, Paris would not remain safe. In 1871, the French lost the Franco-Prussian War, 
Prince Władysław fled Paris for Poland, but not before packing and hiding the priceless art collection. Once again, portrait of a young man was on the move. Things were fairly quiet for the collection for 35 years. However, in 1914, World War I and family politics forced another move to protect the priceless works. The most important pieces were sent to Dresden, Germany. The director of the Dresden Institution, Dr. Hans Posa, recognized the value of the collection and did everything in his power to keep it from returning to Poland after the war. He wanted some of the higher quality pieces for German museum holdings. He was ultimately unsuccessful, and the museum returned to its Krakow location in 1922. This marks the beginning of a great battle for ownership of the three paintings that would continue over the next 20 years. The cat was out of the bag, so to speak. The Germans knew the value of what the Polish had in their possession, and they wanted it. And as conflicting interests in what should be done with these paintings began to take root, a happy ending seemed rather unlikely. Another force was brewing in 20th century Europe, a force that would directly and repeatedly affect the fate of Portrait of a Young Man. Over the course of the 1920s and 30s, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party rose to power. Hitler had a passion for art. In his teen years, Hitler took an interest in history, especially what he saw as his pure German heritage and the superiority of his own culture. He understood these things through myths, heroic writing, art, and architecture. Hitler's dreams of being a professional artist were dashed when he failed the entrance exams to the Academy of Fine Arts Vienna, twice. Still, he never lost his desire to possess incredible artwork, as well as stamp out that which he saw as culturally inferior. The Polish collection had artwork that fell into both categories. In short, Hitler understood art as cultural power, the same way the Czartoryski family and many other Europeans had for centuries. He also understood politics. In 1934, shortly after his rise to power, Hitler signed a non-aggression pact that de facto protected Poland from German advances. If Hitler moved on Poland and violated land agreements, French and British forces were supposed to retaliate. However, Hitler grew bolder with time, and France and Britain largely looked the other way. Agreements came to mean less and less. In the spring of 1939, Hitler violated a similar non-aggression agreement and dismembered the Czechoslovak state. Hitler is reported to have told British Ambassador Neville Henderson in August 1939 that, quote, I am an artist and not a politician. Once the Polish question is settled, I want to end my life as an artist, end quote. That summer, he also appointed Dr. Hans Posse, the same man who had wanted to keep the Czartoryski collection in Berlin, as the head of his arts acquisition project for the Führer Museum, planned for Hitler's hometown in Linz, Austria. Austria had been annexed into the growing German state in the spring of 1938. The museum was intended to outshine top collections in Vienna and Budapest and show Hitler's international power. Hitler insisted on, quote, only the best of all periods from the prehistoric beginnings of art 
to the 19th century and recent time, end quote. Hitler wanted to expand his cultural power as well as his new empire. In August of 1939, Hitler signed the new German-Soviet Pact. It neutralized the 1934 non-aggression pact by splitting Poland between the Germans and Soviets. This would grow German land holdings and provide more resources for the empire. More importantly, it ensured that a German invasion of Poland would not alienate or be stopped by Soviet forces, even while German leadership insisted an invasion of Poland was a defensive measure. Britain and France weren't convinced and kept a sharp eye on the situation. War was coming. Poland hastily prepared, and Prince Augustine commanded the Czartoryski Museum to pack their most precious artifacts into 16 cases. He then sent them to the southeastern Polish town of Szynjawa for safekeeping. Strangely, though, the great three paintings were not included in the shipment, but were rather hidden in the cellars of the museum. Perhaps if they had gone with the rest of the museum's artwork, Portrait of a Young Man would be hanging in its rightful place today. The prince and his country braced themselves for invasion. German forces arrived in Poland on September 1st, 1939. And two days later, on September 3rd, 1939, France and Britain declared war. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. Now the story continues. September 1939. German forces quickly reached Krakow, storming the Czartoryski Museum, where Raphael's portrait of a young man was stored and seizing the cellar stores. Soldiers handled the art roughly, and Polish citizens watched as their culture and country were looted and destroyed. Inexplicably, the famous Leonardo, Lady with an Ermine, was left unrolled but undamaged in the belly of the museum. It could have easily been lost forever. Prince Augustine recovered the Leonardo along with what other precious art he could, and on September 22, 1939, moved the remains of the collection to his cousin's property in Pewkiny, Poland. It was a good effort, but an empty one. The Gestapo discovered the cases shortly after and shipped them back to Krakow, where they remained in German hands. Some continued to resist, but it was of little use. Germans arrested high-ranking members of Polish society. Those who could fled, but many found themselves arrested or placed in growing concentration camps. Among them was the curator of the museum, who later died in the camp. On October 26, 1939, Hitler appointed Hans Frank as the governor general of Poland. Frank had been a successful lawyer and Hitler's personal attorney. He acquired increasingly prestigious titles within the Nazi regime throughout the 1930s. In his new role as governor general, Hans Frank essentially ruled all the areas of Poland that were not directly absorbed into Germany. And he had something in common with his leader. He coveted fine art. Frank wasn't the only one. Art collection as a sign of power was immensely common among Nazi leadership. After the invasion of Poland, there was a frenzy to collect the most valuable work. Another high-ranking Nazi and art collector, Hermann Goering, sent a representative to Poland in October 1939 
to look for the best work. Special Commissioner of Art Kajetan Muhlmann brought three works to Germany from the Polish collections, the Raphael, Da Vinci, and Rembrandt from the Czartoryski Museum. He sent an additional dozen paintings to Berlin, claiming all of them had been entrusted to the Germans by a representative of the Czartoryski family for safekeeping from the Russians. This is doubtful. The paintings were likely stolen. Goering placed the Great Three in Berlin's Kaiser Friedrich Museum after convincing Hitler that they would benefit the collection. That museum had no da Vinci work at the time, and so the trio was a welcome addition. However, the paintings only stayed there for a few months before returning to Poland, where in January of 1940, Dr. Posse was working to create a list of recommended works for Hitler's future Führer Museum. As he was Hitler's lead man for the project, he had seniority that allowed him to look over the looted Polish work. Ever since losing them in Dresden a decade earlier, Dr. Posa had his eye on the Great Three. He recommended the trio be made a part of Hitler's museum. The paintings returned to Berlin yet again. Goering, still determined to possess the Great Three himself, issued a special directive on November 5, 1940. This directive created a hierarchy for seized work. Simply put, the order went, one, art reserved by Hitler for his use, two, works designated for the Reich Marshal, a.k.a. Goering. The rest went more or less to German museums. Essentially, Goering was ensuring access to artwork for himself, and the hierarchy applied retroactively. Goering was now primed to take the trio for himself. But Dr. Posse wasn't going to let that happen. Goering's grab for the paintings, combined with increasing danger from air raids in Berlin, led Posse to secure Hitler's approval in returning the paintings to Krakow for safekeeping. Now in Krakow, the trio was designated for safekeeping by none other than Governor General Hans Frank. In 1942, Governor General Hans Frank appointed the Swiss architect Dr. Wilhelm Ernst von Palitzieu as a personal art advisor and an interior designer for the governor's residences. One of these residences was planned for Krakow, where Dr. Passa had recommended the Great Three be sent. Palitzieu was in charge of transporting the paintings from Berlin back to Poland. Palitzieu outmaneuvered Goering's continued attempts to gain control of the paintings, and mid-1943, the Great Three returned to Krakow. Hans Frank was the proud owner of some of the most important and cherished paintings in the world. Frank hung the trio in his Wawel apartment, although he didn't take excellent care of them. Lady with an ermine hung over a radiator and sustained some damage. Frank only got to enjoy that status for a short year. In July of 1944, the Soviet Red Army took control of Lviv, a town on the border of German-Soviet-Polish territory. Frank immediately called for the evacuation of the Krakow collection to safer territory. Acting on Frank's orders, Palitzieu identified an acceptable repository in Sichow on the western side of modern-day Poland. Surviving notes, along with post-war testimony, place portrait of a young man and the rest of the Great Three arriving in Sichov in August of 1944. Six months later, on January 17, 1945, Frank left Krakow. 
the paintings were to be moved again. Palitzu was once again in charge. On January 20, 1945, the Great Three and the rest of the collection arrived at Morava. Portrait of a Young Man appears on the registry along with the other two paintings on intake. Frank was moving on to another residence in Bavaria. He arranged for three crates of select work to come with him. Among the 20 paintings, Lady with an Ermine and Landscape with the Good Samaritan left with him on January 25, 1945. Portrait of a Young Man remained in Morava due to its large size, but would be sent for. Pelletieu was in charge of overseeing the artwork and its relocation, and moved another batch the next month. Another shipment arrived in February, meticulously documented, no Raphael. The January 1945 catalog was the last time the painting was ever recorded in anyone's possession. Four months later, on May 3, 1945, American forces captured war criminal Hans Frank in southern Bavaria. They wasted no time searching through Frank's possessions and searching thoroughly. On May 18, 1945, roughly two weeks after Frank's capture, the highly secretive T-Force targeted Frank's home. This joint U.S.-British group's job was to target important scientific and technological items before retreating Germans could loot or destroy them. The T-Force recovered things like blueprints for heat-seeking missiles, atomic resources, and weapons of mass destruction. They cleaned out Frank's possessions, including diaries, manuscripts, notebooks, photos, maps, speeches, and documents on Polish and German law. Everything they could take, they took. Among these documents were vitally important inventories of artwork stolen from Poland. There was also a set of 38 diaries detailing his activity from 1939 to his capture. They were invaluable resources and horrifying accounts of the terror Frank unleashed on Europe. Frank was of special interest to the T-Force due to his heavy involvement in some of the worst crimes of the war. He had been instrumental in creating and filling concentration camps in attempts to eradicate Poland's population. The T-Force interrogated Frank's staff and wife and identified individuals who had been closely affiliated with his work. The T-Force removed art objects as well, sending six cases of paintings and books from Frank's home to the local office of the Monuments, Fine Arts, and Archives Division of the Allied Forces, another secret group who dealt with art recovery. On June 14, 1945, Lieutenant Daniel Kern of the MFAA office signed for the cases. Among them was Da Vinci's Lady with an Ermine. Due to rough handling, the painting had some paint flaking, but damage was miraculously low. The MFAA had recovered the first of the Great Three. On June 19, 1945, the recovered set of 116 items arrived at the Munich Collection Center, where they were catalogued and photographed. However, after such a thorough search of Frank's possessions, Portrait of a Young Man and a Landscape with the Good Samaritan were still missing. With how valuable they were, it was possible Frank had hidden them, or that Palatiu had moved them somewhere. The MFAA investigated, but nothing turned up immediately. 
Later in 1945, Frank testified at the Nuremberg trials. These trials were held in Nuremberg, Germany in 1945 and 1946. Judges from the Allied powers tried 22 major Nazi criminals for war crimes during the Holocaust. During the trials, Frank stated that he had personally taken the Polish treasures with him to escape the burning in Silesia, a town on the Polish-German border. Based on his confiscated written records, this was an outright lie. The works had been sent to Bavaria two weeks earlier, under Palazzo, who was acting on Frank's orders. Theories sprung up immediately. Frank may have taken the painting discreetly, for his wife, for himself. It fit with his old patterns. Others assume the painting was looted or destroyed, either intentionally by other Germans, perhaps stolen by one of Goering's men, or even transported somewhere for safekeeping and lost or destroyed on the way. These theories are all plausible. Frank had been known to take high-quality art for himself or his wife under the radar. It was also possible that someone else on his team, such as Palazzo, rerouted, hid, or otherwise stole the valuable painting. It's also plausible that the painting could have been hidden for safekeeping and either forgotten, destroyed, or looted by other Germans during or after the war. This happened to plenty of other valuable works stolen during the war. Due to its obvious Renaissance style and therefore clear value, it's unlikely anyone outright destroyed it on purpose, though it's always possible. Furthermore, Allied forces were still sorting through confiscated Nazi artifacts. From a 1945 perspective, in all likelihood, the paintings would show up soon. Sure enough, the second of the Great Three turned up in 1946. While we don't have many details on the recovery itself, we do know the painting was recovered by Karol Estreicher Jr., a Polish art historian from Krakow and honored monuments man for his lifelong work in World War II art recovery. Estreicher was an educated Jewish man living in Krakow when Germans invaded in 1939. He lost his father to a concentration camp within two months. A striker was deeply dedicated to protecting Poland's treasures, especially its Jewish heritage. Before fleeing the country, he oversaw the evacuation of major artwork. In late 1939 or early 1940, a striker fled to Paris, where he directed the Polish Office for Recovering Works of Art. Polish authorities sent the most precious art and objects they could to Paris. When the Germans threatened to invade Paris later in 1940, a striker moved the items with him to London, including Chopin manuscripts and the Pepline Gutenberg Bible. Some of a striker's most important work was cataloging lost and missing artwork from Poland's collections. These catalogs formed the basis for future searches and successful recoveries. Estreicher also visited and lectured in the U.S. and was instrumental in setting up the Inter-Allied Commission for the Protection and Restitution of Cultural Material in April 1944. This short-lived program would set the basis for many future programs aiming to restore Nazi-looted art. It was Estreicher's work that led both to the joint efforts of the American-British MFAA and the 1946 relocation of the second of the Great Three. Unfortunately, 
Records of the actual details of the 1946 recovery are sparse, and any relevant information that could be useful to the continued search for the painting is hard to come by. However, a striker did work closely with Allied forces, and one monument's man in particular. If anyone had the details on how a striker tracked down work, it was this man. Enter Bernard Taper. Taper was an American soldier who served in intelligence and infantry beginning in 1943. He was a successful journalist with a degree in creative writing from Berkeley and multiple publications under his name. He was also the child of Jewish immigrants who had left Poland and Romania for Scotland in the early 1900s, then eventually sent Bernard to live with his grandparents in Los Angeles in 1929. In 1946, after returning to Berkeley to learn Chinese for a new position as a liaison, Taper and his entire class were sent last minute to Germany instead, where the war had ended. One day, Bernard met a charming fellow named Walter Horn. Horn worked for the MFAA. Horn reeled Bernard in with exciting stories about his work searching for lost and stolen art. It didn't hurt that the position came with the use of a white BMW, the privileges of traveling freely without orders and not wearing a uniform, and the promise of meeting women. Horn himself was ready to go home, but he could not leave until he'd found a successor. He wanted Taper. Taper hesitated, citing that he was no art historian. However, this was exactly what Horn liked about him. The MFAA section was, quote, lousy with art historians. He was more interested in Taper's investigative mind. They needed someone who knew how to pursue leads and ask the right questions, who had an intuition for where to be and when. Taper fit the bill, and with a little push from Horn, took the job. And he was good, leading to the recovery of dozens of stolen works. As Stryker was about to have a new ally intent on finding it, the man who would popularize the story across the Western world. Taper's obsession was Portrait of a Young Man. He spent years tracking down and questioning everyone he could get his hands on. Frank's first art advisor, Cayetan Mulman, and his successor, the infamous Palatieu. Bernard received conflicting stories and persistent cases of selective amnesia. He ran into dead end after dead end. In 1948, after two years with the MFAA, he left Germany and returned home, where he started a nearly 40-year journalism career with The New Yorker. He remained hopeful, though. Looted Polish artwork surfaced all the time. In 1949, two paintings from Frank's plundering showed up in Arkansas. By now, the U.S. State Department was involved in matters of international art theft. Officials dealt with the Arkansas owner, eventually securing the shipment of the looted painting to the U.S. National Gallery of Art. It wasn't easy, though. The owners had purchased the paintings fair and square and were reluctant to part with them. This was a common issue with looted work. It took two years, but the paintings were returned to the Polish Embassy in Washington, D.C. on January 10, 1951. Surely a painting as prominent as Portrait of a Young Man would show up. Someone would try to sell it, and then someone would tip off one of these international programs meant to recover art. Taper thought so. 
His journalism career continued to grow, but his passion remained with the Raphael case. He used his journalism to bring it to public attention and revisited the case whenever new information surfaced. It had to show up. He knew it. In March of 1960, 12 years after leaving the MFAA, it looked like Taper had caught a break. Frank's art restorer and one of the men in charge of the collection in 1945, Edward Kneisel, gave testimony. According to Kneisel, he had seen the missing painting lying around in Pelletieu's villa in spring of 1945. This would fit the timeline of the Great Three's transportation from Poland to Bavaria, and feasibly, Pelletieu could have stolen it. He had unlimited access to the work and had been in charge of transportation. He also wouldn't have been searched as thoroughly as Frank. Kneisel also claimed Pelletieu had written him a letter from Switzerland in 1953 or 1954, discussing the possibility of selling work on the New York market, though he did not include the Raphael. It was a dead end. Investigators didn't take the testimony seriously, and no follow-up occurred. Taper couldn't find anything further. It's still possible Pelletieu took the painting and either continued to hide it or had it sold off to someone else. It made more sense to stay quiet. This painting was famous enough that if it appeared at market or in someone's possession, it would undoubtedly be confiscated. There's also a chance the painting was returned, but to the wrong owner. The U.S. and other forces were returning art to places like Russia, while Russia was keeping all its confiscated art behind closed doors. If Palatiu or someone else had decided to sell the painting to the Soviets, it was as good as gone. Wherever the Raphael painting was, over 20 years had passed since its 1939 looting from Krakow. By now, it was one of the most famous missing artworks in the world, helped along by Taper's prominent journalism career and continued obsession with finding it. Despite Taper's best efforts and constant hope, the trail went cold. There were no new leads, and interest waned. Meanwhile, Poland had been taken into Soviet control. This impeded some communication and recovery efforts. In April 1984, the largest champion of Polish art restoration, Karol Estreicher Jr., passed away. Polish art recovery quieted, and the Raphael remained a thief's tale. Then, in 1991, the Iron Curtain fell, and Poland re-emerged into the Western world, skyrocketing international interest in looted Polish treasures. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now back to our story. As Poland re-entered the Western world in the early 1990s, interest in Polish national identity, tourism, and an effort to find missing Polish works, like Raphael's portrait of a young man, climbed quickly. The Polish government created various departments and positions to help locate and return missing work from abroad. There was an entire position dedicated to signing international agreements dedicated to protecting Polish cultural property abroad. Despite an estimated 60 to 70 percent of Polish collections pre-World War II still missing, the 90s and early aughts saw success in recovering pieces, as well as an uptick in popular awareness. 
1992, the famous Polonaise carpet from the 1800s Paris exhibition turned up at Christie's Auction House in London. It took five years of legal battles, but the carpet returned to the Czartoryski Museum on September 23, 1997. During this deliberation, Portrait of a Young Man appeared in the 1994 historical non-fiction book, The Rape of Europa, which put its value at $100 million, cementing its status as the most important missing painting in the world. The painting began to appear in novels and pop culture with increasing frequency. In 1996, the painting appeared in an episode of The Simpsons. In the story, Homer finds the painting but ultimately turns it over to the U.S. government, who return it to the descendant of its original owner, a rich European socialite with poor taste. While the show missed that the real owner would have been the current head of the Czartoryski family, it touched on an increasingly common phenomena. More and more art was turning up across the globe, spurred on by news and pop cultural references, international crackdowns on looted art, and pressure for museums and individuals to return art to its pre-war owners or their descendants. In cases where new owners did not voluntarily turn stolen artwork over to past owners, law enforcement and special teams often stepped in to negotiate. This phenomena also led to more vigilant eyes on the art market. In 1998, the Polish Ministry of Foreign Affairs appointed new resources and carried out Polish-German government talks specifically dealing with the restitution of Polish cultural property. In May of 2002, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, or LACMA, returned an important 16th century Islamic textile to the museum's foundation. This textile had been in the Czartoryski collection since long before World War II. A 15th century reliquary from the collection made its way home in 2004. The piece had been purchased by a private museum in 1954 in good faith, but was looted cultural property. Meanwhile, international efforts to recover missing work were also increasing. In 2007, the Monuments Men Foundation for the Preservation of Art began. This foundation aims to honor the men whose work significantly impacted the recovery of looted and missing artwork. Continuing the legacy of groups such as the MFAA, the Monuments Men officially honored both Bernard Taper and Carol Estreicher. Still, Portrait of a Young Man did not surface. In 2010, the Czartoryski Museum closed to the public for renovations. They continued their efforts to search for missing work, including the Raphael. Then, something miraculous happened. On August 1st, 2012, a spokesman for Poland's Ministry of Foreign Affairs Office for the Restitution of Cultural Goods told the Polish media that the Raphael was found. Quote, The work was not lost in the turmoil of the war. It has not been burnt or destroyed. It exists. It is safely waiting in a region of the world where the law favors us." End quote. Could the Raphael be returning home? Or at least be confirmed to be safe? In a follow-up statement, the Foreign Affairs Office elaborated, quote, Through a reliable source, we have known for some time that the portrait is in a bank vault in a certain country, but we do not know the exact location. End quote. 
Switzerland, news reports said. The ministry's website maintained, quote, We have no information as to where exactly the image is. However, we can confirm that the ministry continues to monitor all signals reaching us about the image's location, end quote. Weirder things had happened, and art is still being restored to pre-war owners to this day. There also is incentive for private collectors to hide art from the war. Remittances of war loot are a huge topic and often a huge legal battle, as the museum has seen. It's incredibly common for art owners, even those who bought artifacts in good faith, to avoid compliance with international laws meant to restore artwork to their rightful pre-war owners. This is both frustrating and understandable. To the new owners, they acquired the art fair and square and typically won't receive reparations for its value. To the previous owners or their descendants, their cultural and physical property was looted while their families or organizations endured terrible atrocities. In the case of Portrait of a Young Man, ownership is hardly difficult to trace. It's been a part of the Chartierski collection for 200 years. This could be it. They could finally be on to bringing the painting home. But unfortunately, the 2012 sighting was a PR hoax. The spokesperson admitted later that year that he did not know the painting's whereabouts and apologized for the false alarm. Still, it's perfectly feasible that the painting is in a private collection and the owners don't want to give it up. Art restoration of looted work is a topic that's still evolving daily. In addition to restitutions, museums and ownership are still changing. Many art historians and other art world professionals remain optimistic that the painting will resurface. What we believe happened to Portrait of a Young Man is that Dr. Wilhelm Ernst von Palitzu sold the painting to a collector, and though it may have changed hands since then, it's remained underground in private collections since 1945. The painting hasn't been found because the owners want to keep the painting to themselves. They enjoy possessing this art and the cultural power it represents. And there it will sit until maybe one day they'll decide to share the painting with the world once more. Sadly, however, Portrait of a Young Man's Greatest Champion did not live to see it found. In 2015, Bernard Taper passed away. In an interview a few months before his death, Taper stated he still dreamed about finding the painting. His life wasn't the only legacy coming to an end. By late 2016, the Chartierski Museum Foundation had run out of money for its renovation project and didn't look like it was going to open anytime soon. The owner, a descendant of the Chartierski family, shocked the public and his board of supervisors when he sold it to the Polish government in early 2017. The museum reopened in 2017. Lady with an Ermine is its centerpiece with special display. Landscape with a Good Samaritan exhibits there too. The museum is still hopeful it will restore the last of the great three, and new artwork turns up every year. There are whole ministries working toward this all over the world. Foundations like the Monuments Men are also bringing attention to the missing work. Enormous amounts of artwork are still missing. Portrait of a young man may be the most famous, but we'll never truly know how much was lost. Still, there's nothing to say that one of these days it won't turn up. 
It is, after all, one of the most coveted paintings of all time. As the Czartoryski family, Nazi leaders, and present-day foundations and museums know, art is power. And everyone wants a piece. Thanks for tuning in to Gone. If you like the show, you can subscribe for more episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. While you're there, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. You can tell us your theories on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, on Twitter, at Parcast Network, or at Parcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found. Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Gone is written by Taylor Cleland and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>